Jesus is worthy of all our honor and praise, our sacrifice, our dedication, and our commitment. And I am so thankful that 35 years of my life have been devoted to serving him and making him known both here in this community and among the people of Stonehill Church. I mean, if you had asked me way back when I was a teen, what are you going to do with your life? I, I, I had no clue, even though I thought that I knew. At age 13, you know, when I thought I had such a commanding grasp of myself and the world, I would have answered, well, I'm going to be a doctor. I signed up for the pre-med society when I got into ninth grade. Now, mind you, I'm a squeamish kind of guy, you know. Karen and I sometimes will watch this TV series called The Midwife. It's a series set in a post-war London, the east end of London, where there's poverty, where they were having their own baby boom. And a ministry of nuns and midwives serves the community. Of course, every episode features a birth scene. And, you know, we'll be watching it along, and et cetera, and then along comes the birth scene, and I kind of get grossed out, and I kind of say, oh, not another one of these. And Karen looks at me in disbelief, and she says, this is called the midwife. Hello? So anyway, I signed up for the pre-med society in ninth grade. And I went to the first meeting. And there were about 20 of us. And we were in a a big auditorium at the school, which really surprised me. Such a big auditorium. But that's because they wanted to to, to, uh, show this movie on a big screen. And it was a movie of an autopsy. And not a a made-for-TV autopsy. This was like a real autopsy. And after like... 10 minutes max of this, when they got to the point of like opening the chest cavity, I said, I am out of here. So glad I'm not a doctor. I'm so glad I've been a pastor. And not just any pastor. A pastor in this community. With these people in this church. But times move on. And my senior pastor clock now reads 11.59. I'm thankful that that's my senior pastor clock and not my life clock, you know. 11.59. This morning, we're going to take a look at someone whose life clock read 11.59. If you will, take a Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 48. We're going to look at the, the beginning of the closing scene from the life of Jacob. And while turning there, I want to express my heartfelt and deep appreciation. You know, perhaps I should do that down at the end of the sermon, but once I get preaching, the momentum is going to take us to Jesus, and I just don't want to stop that. So here up front, I want to share my appreciation in, in three steps. First of all, I want to express publicly for, I don't know, the 115,015th time, I want to express how grateful I am to Jesus Christ for, in sheer grace, coming into my life, giving me forgiveness of sins, cleansing from shame, and a whole new life. 
And not just when I became a Christian way back at age 19, but daily since as as one of his beloved children. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I also want to express my appreciation for so many who are watching right now. Um, Obviously, there's just way too many for me to call out by name. I I want to express my appreciation to my dear family, uh, whom I will call out by name, to Karen, Joel, Janet, Nathan, Grace, Eden, Mathen, Paul, Bethany, Franklin, you are my joy. I want to thank my extended family, my five brothers and sisters-in-law, my nephews and nieces and grandnephews and grandnieces, such a big family. You have loved and endured me over so many years. Thank you. I want to express my appreciation to the congregation of Stonehill Church, to the people, the leaders, the elders, the staff, Thank you. I want to express appreciation to our church's extended congregation of alumni and workers around the globe. I want to express appreciation to friends and colleagues from the community here. Uh, for for friends and colleagues from from college and high school, for my brothers and sisters in the faith across the country and around the world, thank you. For you see, finally here up front, I want to say... I am the accumulation of each of you. In a different way, each of you has made me who I am. It is because of who you are, the relationships you have had with me, because of your many kindnesses, your support and understanding, your rebukes and your corrections, your great, great patience. It is because of your love that I stand here and that I stand here joyful and grateful and humble. And this morning, my simple gift in return is to do two of the things that God made me to do. Number one, to bring God's word down into your lives from this text. And then number two, based on all that, to pray a prayer a particular kind of prayer to pray upon you a blessing. So now to God's word. Genesis 48, I'm going to read verses 8 through 16. Uh, For those who are tuning in for the first time here uh, to a Stonehill service, since early June we have been looking uh, on Sundays at scenes from the life of Jacob, also known as Israel, a name that was given to him later in, in, in his life. And this, here in Genesis 48, this is, this is the final scene, part of the final scene of, of, of his movie, so to speak. His clock reads 11.59. Jacob, who throughout his life has been a manipulator and a controller, a deceiver, always wanting to be number one, Jacob has come to a deep understanding over the years of God's grace, God's forgiveness and God's covenant love. Joseph, Jacob's son, presumed to have been dead for many years, is in fact ruling in Egypt in this scene. And because of famine, Jacob has been brought here some 17 years before. 
And now Jacob, Israel, is approaching death. It's 11.59 on his clock. Let me read the text, Genesis 48, verses 8 through 16. When Israel, Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, in other words, his grandsons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here in Egypt. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. And so Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has now let me see your offspring also. And then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and he brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. This is God's word. I love this text. I especially love verse 15. And I especially love the phrase in the second half of verse 15. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. I mean, there's something really good about that statement of Jacob's. And there's something even better about that statement of Jacob's. And there's something amazingly the best about that statement of Jacob's. Let me show you the good. Let me show you the better. Let me show you the best. First, the good, which is Jacob's conviction that God has, is, and will always care for his people, will always shepherd the ones he loves. I mean, that statement, the God who's been my shepherd all my life long to this day, that, that statement lying on the screen there or on the page before you, it's high theology. God is loyal in his care for his people. You know, when I think about the great theologians in the Bible, I think, you know, I think Isaiah, I think David, I think Paul, I think Jesus. I just don't think Jacob. But Jacob is actually the first person in Scripture to present God as shepherd, as an attentive Almighty Father who pays attention to and cares for, protects, feeds, gives rest, gives rest to, renews, and carries home his people. 
And this theme of shepherd from this point on will grow in depth and in width throughout the rest of Scripture. I'll also note, incidentally, Jacob the theologian, that he's also the first person to speak about God as redeemer. Verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. He sees God as the one who's brought him out of his slavery to his self, to his lying and his manipulating and his obsession with winning, rescued and set free. Now think about Jacob's life with respect to this idea of God as shepherd. I mean, Jacob may have thought this as he was calling God shepherd there. When I cheated my brother, God eventually corrected me. When I was kicked out of the house, God watched over me. When I thought I was alone in the wilderness, God met me. When I was tricked by my uncle, God held up the mirror. When I thought Esau was on his way to kill me, God protected me. When my beloved wife Rachel died way too soon, God comforted me. When I thought I would never see my son Joseph, God surprised me. Always and everywhere, God has tenderly cared for me, even though I didn't realize it. In 1159 here, Jacob is able to see and to speak of a a deeply personal experience of God's faithful goodness. And he knows that it's going to continue. I mean, that's why, in in a way, the statement is a little cumbersome. Uh, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long, to this day, he kind of throws in that little line at the end, to this day, kind of right up until now. It's going to continue. Stonehill. Let me speak to you. This is the conviction that you need to take forward with you. I mean, today we are celebrating 35 years of, yes, uh, my shepherding at this church, but much more significantly. And really, the central actor, we are celebrating God's shepherding of this church through me, despite me, without me. And do you think that God's shepherding this church is suddenly going to stop? Do you think that for some crazy reason on August 1st, uh, this conviction of Jacob's will suddenly be changed in your Bible? So you'll open it up to this text and it will read, God has been our shepherd all our life long until yesterday. No. All of you listening, please, long before your clock reads 1159, come to God with a life surrendered to his son, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd brought back from the dead so that you too can experience the faithful care of the living God through all of life's twists and turns, difficulties, sorrows, blessings, and joys. I mean, this is, this is just really good stuff that Jacob's talking about here. But there's something even better. So second, let me talk about the better, which is the way that Jacob turns this conviction into a prayer. I mean, he is not sitting in theology class here, presenting 
a, a propositional truth about God. He is presenting a truth about God. But he's not in a class. He's with his son and two of his grandsons, and he's blessing them. Verse 9, he asks Joseph to bring the kids so that he can bless them. And then verse 15, it says that he blesses them. Verse 15 reads, actually, he blessed Joseph. I think Joseph is being used there the way we will talk, for instance, about Capitol Hill. Actually meaning Congress. Joseph being used here. Actually to mean Joseph's two sons. He's blessing them. He's praying a prayer over them that God would work in their lives. And it, it's, it's somewhat obscured by the translation that I am using here, the ESV. Other translations, I think, make it much more prominent. For instance, the NIV reads, may, may the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life to this day. And that may catches the idea of the blessing. That's blessing format. I'm praying this upon you. Now, here's the thing about this particular blessing. There are scores of blessings in the Bible. What is unique, as far as I can tell through my study, what is unique about this blessing is the way that it explicitly rests upon Jacob's experience. Not just his head understanding, but his memory, his stated life story, what he walked through. I mean, typically, blessings in the Bible will work this way. Step number one, a knowledge about God. For instance, that we know God is gracious. He teaches us that. And prayer, as a blessing, will take that revealed truth and then work with it. Into step two, the prayer itself, which is that God would, God being gracious, that God would be gracious to you. So, for instance, Paul writes at the end of 2 Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's a great blessing. But Paul does not, in that statement, explicitly refer to his experience of God's grace. Jacob's blessing here works differently. Rather than saying, oh, I've read that God shepherds, uh -uh -uh," he's saying, I've experienced it. Step number one for Jacob here is experienced knowledge. I know from my life as I look over it that God shepherds. And therefore, so much more, a, a, heartfelt, a heartfelt prayer. May the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this very day bless you. Now, in just a couple minutes, I'm going to pray a blessing like Jacob's. Because through no merit of my own, I have come to see how God really has shepherded me all the days of my life and leadership right up until today. And there are so many stories that I could tell. I'll use probably the most public story. I think of the building in which I am preaching. Stonehill Church, the actual building. And the sanctuary here in which I stand. A sanctuary in which before COVID, those of you listening who attend here, 
used to meet. And one day, by the grace of God, you will meet here again. Some of the lowest points in my story as a leader have had to do with the disappointments and the rejections of building or relocating from our previous site on Westerly Road. The whole process began in June of 1987. June 1987. And down through the years, we had rejection and disappointment, one blow after another. March 1995, July 1995, March 1996, March 1998, April 2002, seemingly February 2008, seemingly April 2010. I mean, I can't get into the details of each of those dates and the stories behind them, but there are many, and they tell of... For, for me and others, how confusing and absent God seemed to be in what were responsible, prayer-driven attempts to build or relocate our church so that the gospel could continue to be preached here in Princeton. But for me personally, it was April 2002. After a crushing decision by the Lawrence Township Planning Board that I really, I, I, I gave up on believing that God was a shepherd when it came to our church and my leadership and either relocation or building. And I needed someone to pray this prayer over me and I suspect many did. But now, when I look at what we have in terms of facility, I realize God was shepherding us. He was saying no because he had a much better yes. A yes, in Paul's words, that was beyond all that we could have ever asked or imagined in June of 1987. So I will pray this blessing upon you in just a couple minutes with the experienced reality of its truth in my life, much like Jacob. But before I do that, I want to share with you what is the best thing about Jacob's words here. The best thing is how this blessing is placed, first of all, upon the one undeserving Did you notice in verses 13 and 14 all that funny business about right hand, left hand, older, younger? I mean, what was up with all that? Well, according to the human rules of the time, Jacob's right hand, the hand of greater blessing, should have been placed upon the older son, Manasseh. But no. In yet one more instance in this story of Jacob where where human expectations and, and human patterns, human merit are all overturned and undone, Jacob, first of all, blesses the younger Ephraim with his right hand. What a beautiful picture of grace of God's grace. With God, blessing is given freely to those who deserve it least. 
I mean, think, for instance, about Jesus, God's greatest gift of grace. We are told in the Gospels that Jesus was the friend of prostitutes and sinners. And not because somehow in in Jesus' calculation, their lifestyles were, were fine. They weren't. I mean, they were sinners. He was a friend of prostitutes and sinners because of his great grace. Because it doesn't matter whether we deserve Jesus' grace or not. None of us deserves it. Wherever there is a humble heart, Jesus' grace and all his blessings are poured out. Stonehill, all of you who are listening, never forget that. Never forget the heart of the Christian gospel that all the blessings Jesus Christ owns through his death and resurrection are yours through simple trust in him, undeserving as you are. And as undeserving as you may feel at any point, as undeserving as you may be at any point, life in this life and life in the life to come are all yours freely given through Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it so well, so memorably, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not your works. It's not your record. It's not your merit. It's not your glory. It's God's. And so now, now, I will pray the prayer that I promised at the beginning of the sermon. And I will pray it upon all of us, undeserving as we are, to be received with open, trusting heart. It's a special kind of prayer. It's a blessing. It's a blessing in which I will ask that the God of grace will shepherd you just like he shepherded Jacob, just like he has shepherded me. So wherever you are, if you're able... Please stand. And if you are comfortable, please extend your arms and open your hands to receive this blessing from God. Now, may the God before whom Abraham and Isaac and Jacob walked, may the God who redeems us from evil May the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life, right up through today, may this God bless you with all his grace in Christ Jesus today and forever. Amen. Please be seated. That is the first of three blessings that will be concluding our service. Before we get to the second one, please join me in singing an old hymn. It's one of my favorite hymns. It's a hymn that describes God as the God who cares for us through all the days of our lives. Great God, we sing that mighty hand.